Hi everyone, welcome to The Human Show, proudly presented and supported by worldpodcast.com. Here we explore the relationships between people, technology and business. Join us on this journey where we interview anthropologists, other researchers and industry people from all over the world, from India to Kenya, US, Europe, to right back here in New Zealand. Hi friends, today's episode is hosted by Tiffany Tifasuradej, anthropologist and consultant at Ogilvy Consulting in Hong Kong. Tiffany is, is talking to Sawyer J. Lar, partner and general manager of Teak Research, a product development research consultancy established in Bangkok in 2013. Sawyer shares his experience as a UX researcher working in Thailand and applying anthropological frameworks and practices for design and innovation projects. Digital technology is a new reality for both the researcher and the research participant. So how does it affect the research process and what to keep in mind when designing it? We fail as a user of digital technologies when we try to use digital technologies to replace the in-person experience. Tiffany and Sawyer reflect on creative ways to deal with this new reality imposed by technical complexities and the need to rethink existing methodologies. Finally, Sawyer gives some tips based on his recent experiences and shares his hopes for ethnography in Thailand in the upcoming years. We hope you enjoy it. Hi, this is Tiffany. I am an anthropologist who's currently working for a multinational uh, advertising agency based in Hong Kong. And today um, I'm joined with a good friend of mine, um, Sawyer, who's based in the uh, Thai market um, for another conversation about ethnography in Asia. But also um, Sawyer is going to talk to us a little bit today on digital technology in relation to remote ethnography and um, research. So um, glad to be here again on the Human Show to talk. Uh, I'd like to firstly let Sawyer give a short introduction about himself. So Sawyer, take it away. Hi, Tiffany. It's always great to catch up with you. I'm, just so everyone knows, I'm Sawyer Lar, and I'm general manager of Teague Research Bangkok. I'm also owner and co-founder of Teague Research here uh, in partnership with Conifer in Conifer Research in Chicago, Illinois, in the U.S. And we've been established here for a little over seven years in, in Bangkok. And uh, most of our work occurs in the Thai market. Uh, and we work with both domestic and international partners to conduct uh, research, uh, oftentimes doing multinational studies with Thailand as one of the field work sites. So I am very feel very lucky to be able to share my experience uh, of Thailand, which is um, unique in that in Southeast Asia, uh, we have many languages, but we share similar cultures. Uh, however, working across countries in Southeast Asia is quite uh, difficult because of the linguistic, um, linguistic reasons. Um, and so I would like to just say that um, my experience is, is very much tied to what's happening here in, in Thailand and what's specific to Thailand. Um, but um, I hope to have in the future more opportunities to work with uh, local agencies as other regional um, countries, mm. you know, kind of pump up their market research uh, capabilities. And once those markets develop and grow and, and have more of a demand for market research. Great, great. Thanks. So, and uh, yes, the work that Teak Research um, does in um, Thailand is absolutely amazing. I, I've been fortunate to actually look into quite a few of their their cases. They've done a lot of really interesting things to better understand um, the uh, Thai consumers or even um, people working in different offices just to kind of better understand um, what is it that motivates their behaviors and how that can actually guide, was it uh, design and innovation? Is that right, Toya? Yeah, actually, we we pride ourselves on using applied anthropology, so using different methodologies, theories, 
um, frameworks, practices from anthropology for uh, design and, and innovation projects for clients across uh, industries in Thailand. And we do that primarily through, um, through interviews, uh, through um, methodologies that put us in direct contact with the, the participant and gather the insights that we then use for design purpose, which might be slightly different than uh, as most people, if there are any business uh, business listeners who are not from an anthropological background or don't work in this field um, might, uh, might kind of wonder why do we need to use the research for design purpose um, and not marketing purpose. But uh, actually, that is something that we have been developing here in Thailand as it's quite new to use um, to use research for design rather than just for uh, marketing purposes. Mm. And that's actually a really good segue into the, the question that I, I previously asked in a different um, podcast, also for the human show, so I'm going to ask it again, which is well, how would you define anthropology? And maybe you can talk about it in context of how you actually talk about it to, to your clients. <laughs> Sure, sure. Well, the first the first thing I thought of was actually something that another person, another guest on the human show said. Uh, he's a professor uh, in New Zealand who's studied some of the tribal peoples there. And he talks about anthropology as being the study of change in time mm-hmm. versus history being the study of change over time. And you asked me to explain in the context of our work here and how we explain it to our client. I think that is very difficult to explain what anthropology is, especially when you use the Thai word, which is very academic. And yeah. <laughs> uh, many people uh, are quite unfamiliar with the word uh, mm. itself. Uh, and I think that's probably the one of the hardest things in communicating it. But now that we have the word design thinking uh, being popularized here in Thailand is uh, growing. It's a buzzword here in Thailand, even though it's been around for um, over 10 years <laughs> globally uh, in other countries. The way we explain it is really about participant observation, which is you know how anthropologists explain their methodology, is actually by participating in the the context of the the user, customer, consumer that we're trying to understand and in order to gain insights that we would not otherwise be able to do through traditional uh, market research methodologies like, for example, questionnaire, survey, mm-hmm. or focus group. That's great. Yeah, actually, uh, I mean, to me, I still think the in terms of the quality and the richness of um, insights. Um, you, you, you're only going to get that through observing and really getting to know um, people that you're aiming to study. And ethnography is probably one of the only uh, methods that enables you to do that, even though I think, um, uh, and I'm sure you, you may face this in your work as well, um, a lot of clients often feel like, oh, I, I don't understand it. It too, takes too much time. The budget is really um, costly. Well, I mean, it's quality research so um, yeah. they, they will try and skip and maybe take you know do a survey or even an interview instead um, so um, yeah it's great that you know that your agency s- still um, believes in the power of ethnography and actually has been able to successfully apply it um, and uh, in, in multiple different contexts so actually I want to ask so um we know that last year, um, and it's still happening right now, the pandemic has really affected how um, research is conducted um, globally. And for, for your um, topic today, you you wanted to talk about how digital technology is the new reality for researchers and research participants. Um, first question is, what made you choose this topic? And the second question is, uh, how has digital technology affected the research field um, within Thailand? Uh, so why I chose it uh, was because, it's, again, it's very current. It's very relevant to not just us here in Thailand, but uh, globally, people working in our field are, 
are feeling hit by this the impact of of COVID affecting the way people relate and communicate, uh, and and that affects market researchers, uh, all types, design researchers, user researchers, uh, anyone who's used to in-person interaction in their research methodology is, is in some way impacted. So I felt like it's a, it's a relevant um, topic that I'm glad to be able to talk about now in this particular time and also to have several months to have kind of reflected on on it and have actually experienced it, um, the impact myself and, and also experienced the impact at the same time with our international partners who are working on, with us on the project here in Thailand in all of our remote locations. Uh, and the second, the second question you asked was, what, what does that look like? I feel like, I, I feel like I want to describe what it looks like because I, I think I want people to understand um, and be able to imagine uh, by just listening, you know, that what does it what does it look and feel like every day for a researcher to 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 use digital technologies in the actual research methodology. Of course, you know, we're we're, we're used to using digital technologies to some extent for our own personal purposes, our work purposes, um, both ourselves and even our research participants. But when there's suddenly we suddenly have to use them to essentially replace um, what was a face-to-face -face interaction. Mm. Uh, it becomes about overcoming all these uh, technological uh, barriers uh, as well as communication barriers. But I yeah. think the most, the most obvious one uh, is technological. And I have to share that uh, being in in Thailand and having like power outages frequently, you know, um, we're you know we're not working in a grade A office building, so the sound is not you know a hundred percent how do you say controlled or the the power is not a hundred percent you know uh, how do you say reliable and the internet is also not very stable and so. Just, just that uh, alone makes it difficult to to do work in general. But, but then when you add on uh, multiple parties, so like I'll just tell you a story about the recent um, project that we did uh, with a global tech company to understand uh, their experience, the user experience of a video video feature, a video watching feature on their social media application, and. Uh, <laughs> the, the 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 preliminaries, the the setup, the brief to the project, the the recruitment criteria would seem quite simple. That they just want to talk to people uh, from a list that the client already has mm -hmm. to recruit them and understand why they they skip or don't watch videos. Right? It seems kind of yeah. like a, a easy premise to understand. Right? Um, is it, is it like as an anthropologist or someone who comes from a social science background or design research background, we would we would rather like to understand the, all the context around why are people not watching videos or skipping videos, like external distractions that maybe we, they have no control over. Um, but not being able to observe those things, we're only relying on very like... Um, psychographic <laughs> kind of like a psychological responses or what we can rationally explain what the participant can rationally explain verbally um, over a video call mm -hmm. using a chat messenger and broadcast through video conferencing platforms to our client uh, and the end client as well as our partner research partner yeah. in another country so when you have an end client in the U.S. and you have a research partner in Mexico and you have the fieldwork team in Bangkok and then you have the research participant in the countryside of Thailand. <laughs> you can imagine the, the complexities of technology, but just communication, right? Not only delays in communication because of the feedback or, you know, because of the, 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 the broadcasting, the, the, the channels, but, um, but, but generally you can imagine how 
difficult it is to to even get to the point of beginning to ask the questions. Um, so I will never forget the moment when we spend probably 10 minutes trying to explain to the research participant um, how to turn off the auto-rotate feature on her smartphone so that her <laughs> face didn't keep flipping in, in circles every time we try to just start talking to her. Um, and through halfway through the interview, the woman has to like take her family, uh, suddenly has to take a family member to like the hospital or something like that. Wow. I mean, when we when 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 you work in the context of the home, um, even with all, all you know proper due diligence done when the recruitment mm-hmm. process, you know ensuring that participants are available and interested to participate, um, and that they are in a place where they can conducively actually respond to your questions, um, and all these other complications are gonna arise and and that puts a lot of pressure on the researcher when trying to conduct the study because there are limits on how much time you know the interview is for 30 minutes 60 minutes or an hour and a half um, you know these are all things you quote when you quote to the client but then when it comes to execution it's a lot more complex and so the expectation on the end of the client or research partner is very high um, because they're often operating in countries where maybe there is a more secure internet connection or people are more tech savvy. Uh, and so it's very hard not only to communicate to the client uh, what our challenges here are in Thailand, but also to understand what are the contextual factors that are affecting um, participants' response? And so that's what um, that's what I like to call we call like blind spots. You know, there are some blind spots, and you know, a lot of gaps in uh, technological gaps uh, in, in 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 for people across different socioeconomic profiles in Thailand as well. So um, there are many many factors that we can discuss uh, about what affects, uh, how digital technology affects the research process. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I mean, that that story about how you had to teach your participant how to operate a phone, I mean, that like, <laughs> you, you wouldn't normally get that in a non-remote um, a research setting, but um, yet um, given the current circumstances, uh, I guess everyone's had to just somehow adapt. And sometimes it's, uh, I think when we when it comes to adapting to digital technologies and, and for research, it, it's not just about um, bringing the method and just trying to operate it on a digital channel. I think it's also about thinking kind of creatively about how we can adapt the yeah. way we do research offline to online. Um, so, so something that we've been doing and where I work, uh, we've been running our online um, workshops um, and we've been using a few um, tools um, such as, and this is not sponsored, um, Miro, M-I-R-O, which is really, um, it, at first it was a bit tricky for some of our clients because basically Miro kind of mimics what you would see in like um, an ideation workshop. You've got your digital post-its, you've got like canvases that you can draw on to when you have ideas and it's a place where everyone can kind of collaborate and do um, work together. On top of that, we've also been using um, like Zoom and other kind of uh, channels that let us communicate to participants and clients um, digitally. And I think um, it took some time for everyone to adapt but eventually, uh, everyone started to get the hang of it and it became more smoother. Of, but of course, there is still value in doing um, research offline, especially um, in a group setting. It would be much easier offline than online. You make a really good point. I would love to, 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 like, to comment on that. I think of that what you made me think of is that, first of all, digital technology is not a methodology. It's, mm. Exactly. Right. And so we can't suddenly offer digital uh, methodologies to our client. We still have to have a reason behind uh, the or the content of the 
actual methodology, like you mentioned, like running an ideation online. Yeah, we did our first ideation online with our client, you know, because of COVID too. And we also had international partners and Thai partners on the call. And, you know, surprisingly it went very well, but is it the same as being in person? Of course, it will not be the same as being in person. And so I think like what I found is that when, when we try to use the digital technologies to somehow replace the in-person uh, in-person interaction or in-person methodologies or methodology that's normally done in person i think that's when we fail uh, as like a user of digital technology i think we're not really using the digital technology to its fullest capacity uh, or we're not using the right combinations of technologies for example you know, after debriefing with uh, my team after a project that we did, uh, another online user research project where we used uh, chat messengers and video conferencing platforms like Zoom, Microsoft Teams to conduct uh, interviews and broadcast them. What, what, what we learned is that part of the data was missing. Like we're, we're not able uh, to see um, the person, the user of this camera application, how they're actually interacting interacting with it with their fingers. Um, yeah. And you cannot associate their like their responses with their the verbal responses with their their physical responses. Um, where are their eyes? you know, uh, looking, you know, uh, when they're touching or are they even thinking before they're touching? Uh, we asked them to, I will just tell you a story about like asking a participant to explore an online prototype mm -hmm. of a camera application is like, uh, they already start playing with it before you can even ask them, like, what do you think will happen if you, you know, or what should happen on this screen or or what you know? What do you see on the screen, and what does it mean to you, or something like that? Which, first yeah. of all, is completely uh, it's nonsensical because we're not rational beings like that, and we don't even think before we click. Oftentimes, if you want people to explore a prototype without biasing them or guiding them or whatnot, doing it through an online medium like this, I would say it's like, it's next to impossible <laughs> uh, and it's next to impossible uh, not to kind of guide them or in some way or, um, but I, what we, what we discussed in the debrief was that next mm -hmm. time we should use some sort of um, click tracking application. So that's an additional research cost. And now, now we're getting, now that gets into the discussion of costs of running all of these different platforms um, in order to, to do conduct the research, like Miro, like you mentioned for ideation, co-creation, like Zoom, like Microsoft Teams, um, like chat messengers, like click tracking, whatever it may be. Um, a lot of the, all these things come with with costs and accounts and setup and everything associated with them. And so, I, I want I want people to think about these digital technologies um, and their their capacity, you know, to help us as user researchers, design researchers, market researchers. Um, to get the insights that we want to get, uh, but not completely try to replace them with the digital technologies. Because at some point, or even now in Thailand, as the restrictions, you know, go away and then come back, you know, in between those times, we do have opportunities to meet people in person um, when appropriate and with the appropriate measures taken, right? Um, yeah. But I, I think that in terms of adaptation, like you mentioned, the word adaptation is that 
how do you say this is still not a normal situation right this is a new normal situation so um no one like my friend said on linkedin i think she's like we didn't choose to be in this situation right <laughs> so you know so i mean everything we do now i think is an adaptation and i think this is the is the, probably the best time for us to figure out um an experiment with how to best use these digital technologies for research purposes but um at this time i don't think that we can we can say that we've mastered digital technology for research i think we're in we're just in like the early days of exploration and we just happen to be forced into a situation where we have to use it more than we would have otherwise so in in your view uh, what does technological uh, literacy mean for researchers that are using digital technologies I think it's both for the researcher and for the participant right um I'm not not all researchers are literate in technology uh, I certainly wasn't literate in a lot of technology before covid hit us and we had to learn like uh how to use several different video conferencing platforms um and to find out if you know oh can this application share a screen or not share a screen from the participant side blah 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 um the digital literacy is there as an issue uh, for both the researcher and the participant from the participant side um they don't really know what they can do with their device 100% and we don't really know what they can do with their device 100% either because each um each smartphone model is different and again I'm talking about, I'm talking about smartphones because that's how most participants here actually communicate with us if it's like a, a higher income participant i would say that the tendency is to uh that it's more likely they'll be able to run uh the interview through their laptop or desktop computer but otherwise you're limited to the smartphone and in that and that said you're limited to the knowledge of this person of their of their smartphone too um like for example can they share their screen how do they share their screen from mm. from the application zoom has a different functionality than line messenger which is the chat messenger here or facebook messenger they all have different um privacy uh, re- uh regulations and requirements uh, different user agreements they all have different um login requirements right some require login some don't require login i yeah. think like all these um all these things that i just mentioned have to do with um technological literacy and as the the the, the features and functions of these smartphones change and these software on the smartphones change over time like how many times i had to update my microsoft teams application just before this call um you know <laughs> yeah. i i mean, like when 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 we're constantly updating and changing the 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 user experience of these platforms we're also then affecting how people can can use them right and i think this has to do with the technological literacy some people are savvier in terms of they can figure it out quicker than the other than other people without having to be instructed but other people you know need you know complete instruction they need to be led through every step of the process which means if you're starting an interview at 9am that means you have to be uh and have all of your technology on your side as a researcher set up and then you have to run through everything with a participant the previous day and then before the interview to make sure that everything is actually um running smoothly so i think that when you when we if we talk about thailand specifically i know i know you want to hear a lot about thailand too is that the technological literacy here um i don't have any stats to say what it is or what it generally is as a as a country but from my experience um the technological literacy is is quite low both from the researcher side and and from the participant side because we've been doing things traditionally here for so long and not just uh specifically the market research business in here has been doing things in focus research focus group laboratories for so long um yeah. 
And they offer platforms now for online focus groups too and online in-depth interviews. Those are those technologies or, or those platforms I should say are not are not not that new, maybe five years old. But and these market research uh, companies here are all equipped with those, you know, those yeah. those software. Um, but that doesn't mean they know how to use them. Uh, and it doesn't mean that they're that when you want to talk to a certain participant, that that participant will have the same literacy as, as the other. And so why do we talk about this? I think what I what last thing I want to add about technological literacy is that mm-hmm. when you when you're recruiting participants, when you're targeting a participant for a research study and you have your target customer, target consumer, yes. you have a certain SEC, a certain socioeconomic class you're looking to talk to. And that is going to affect how you're able or whether or not you're able to conduct an interview with them through some sort of technology. So I would discourage, you know, um, the use of digital technology with populations that uh, maybe struggle to use this technology uh, yet, uh, or maybe because you just might not get the fullest understanding. Um, Mm -hmm. Or or if you're okay, uh, if I mean, if the client or the researcher is okay with those technological complexities and you accept those things and you accept that the literacy is not going to be high, but you want to do it anyway. Um, I think that's okay too. Uh, I think maybe actually one thing that I would like to say is that through interviewing people, through smartphones, through digital mediated interaction, you actually learn a lot about their user experience, including Mm -hmm. their literacy um, through interviewing them, even if they struggle. And so from an anthropological perspective, we should see those frustrations, the the issue like stopping your phone from auto-rotating the screen or uh, the issue with being able to share your screen or not share your screen or open an application and have it crash or not crash, you know, because your storage is full or because your your RAM is not enough to run the application. These are actually, how do you say in, in anthropological terms, it's like it's a phenomenon you're witnessing, like you're yeah. witnessing this actual struggle happening. And then those are actually insights. If you see the struggle with technology as an insight from a research perspective, and you're doing research on digital products like software applications, um, then then actually doing research online is very rich in terms of learning, even despite some of its limitations. Perhaps you could share some tips in how um, you and your your antique research has dealt with the technical complexities involved in using um, digital technologies for research, especially during the um, pandemic? That's a great question. The first thing I think of is uh, human resources. So um, (laughs) (laughs) we we thought we had an assumption before we started doing this kind of research online that, uh, oh, it it should be done cheaper. It should require fewer people uh, to run it, which is not at all true. Uh, I would like to dispel that myth. <laughs> uh, actually, because of the technology, you need more setup time. You need more people to monitor uh, the applications to make sure they're all running, uh, as well as the recording. It's all running and happening. Um, and that also to communicate with both with the uh, end participant, uh, with the recruiter, uh, with the end client, with the research partners, uh, all of these communication lines too. So um, actually interesting one thing that uh, in terms of tips is actually having a, 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 how do you say, like a a group, a line group, chat, WhatsApp, uh, WhatsApp conversation. Yeah, messenger chat. You know, messenger chat uh, going on. Uh, simultaneously with different threads, different 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 lines of communication with different people, 
you know, uh, with the client, with the end participant, with the recruiter, and then between the members of the team, um, because because of sound, um, sound because sound becomes an issue, right? So you have to like the researcher and the per- the researcher, and then the interpreter, which I didn't mention. But if you're working on projects that require a, an interpreter to translate the participants' words to the end client in another country, um, you know, you have to have different rooms. So the like, it's, those are these are all like logistical setups. But I think that I think that in terms of the the moderation of the interview uh, might be even more interesting to talk about tips because I think for the moderator, for the person conducting interview, for the researcher requires a lot more patience than if you were to be in person because all of these technologies, they force us to move very quickly. They create a different expectation of time. We expect things to happen much faster. Uh, and because of that, when we face technological like hiccups, <laughs> like I mentioned earlier, then yeah. we kind of panic, right? And and or we don't know where the issue is coming from. And the and for the for the researcher, the researcher needs to be kind of focused and free of those distractions so that they can really observe, so that they can really probe further with additional questions um, so that they can really build that rapport with the participants. So I would say that if anything that I would say the tips would be to lessen the pressure as much as possible, create like a distraction free environment as much as possible for the moderator um, and as well as train the moderator and the researcher to be able to communicate to the participant very maybe basic basic um how do you say technological know-how mm-hmm. uh, and but not just to communicate as instruct but to ask questions like what are you seeing on your screen now it's almost like when you call a call center and they're walking yeah. you through how to like log into your account or your bank account or something like that you know like you have to act like that it's the tip for researchers you have to take on a little bit of a different role in that you're actually helping and guiding and assisting them through this experience they're having with you that's digitally mediated as well as building that rapport, rapport and trust with the participant making them feel um, comfortable comfortable talking to you and that they're being taken care of I, I would say like having the having the both the participant and the researcher in like a calm and distraction free environment is is ideal um, but I would say don't don't um, expect that the participant uh, should be or will be in a just totally distraction free uh, environment and you can actually learn from their context and I'll give an example uh, the example is uh, a project that we recently did studying uh, intergenerational family living uh, mm-hmm. in Bangkok. And this was like right after COVID hit. We were on lockdown. We were in, in our rooms, you know, trying to conduct interviews remotely. And we asked the research participants who were like the head of household or decision maker for the home purchase to essentially do what we would normally do if we were in their home, you know, which is like give us a home tour of each room in the house and what happens in each room, what are the activities and all that kind of thing. It was like um, kind of surreal. Uh, And I think surreal because we've never done it quite like this. We've never done something that we've done normally in person and tried to like replicate it, um, replicate it through you know digital, digital means. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that the benefits of it were that we were able to, how do you say, it, speak on maybe a more relaxed, inst- 
how do you say relaxed, intimate, more pers- more personal level because they were, oh, okay. you know, because there was distance from us. There was distance between us. And so I think that, that you know, what, what, what researchers should know is that there's nothing wrong with using this digital technology and remote interviews as, as a way of interacting with participants. And in some ways, people prefer it. Some people actually prefer to be, to communicate this way. Um, some people are better at like writing text messages than they are um, doing a video call, right? Or talking over the phone without video um, versus a video call or in-person conversation. And so I think that in some ways it can like turn off some participants. It can make some people shy um, to be on camera, uh, even to their own camera, but it can also be a really great way of building rapport. And like, yeah, like, like you said, it can feel sometimes uh, more relaxed because the researcher is not like invading your home. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> uh, like it's just their face on your mobile phone screen, but at least it's the face of the researcher on your mobile phone screen um, on your mobile phone screen and not like uh, behind a camera in your house. So I think that there's just talking to you now about it too. I am able, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm reflecting on some things about using the digital technologies for research that um, I hadn't articulated before, even with my own team. And I think it's something that we need to explore more that what are the potentialities, what are really the benefits of, of this to the participant, to the researcher, um, rather than trying to see it as like a replacement for, um, for in-person. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think digital technology, uh, it is obviously here to stay for research. And I think if researchers can think a little bit more creatively about how to make use of these digital um, tools as their assets in um, research, then actually there can be a lot of things that they can do. And at the same time, yes, it may actually put a little bit less pressure on your um, participants uh, I can definitely say so for some of the ones that I've um, studied uh, in Hong Kong because um, I guess people are quite um, private and they feel um, a bit um, pressured if um, you are trying to snoop in and look at their lives. Um, so I think this helps to bring that pressure away and hopefully that helps to actually uncover some more deeper, meaningful insights through the conversations that researchers um, have with their participants rather than the participants just kind of regurgitating what they ex- they kind of think researchers are looking for in um, their research. So, yeah. May, um, may, I, may I give another example? Yeah, yeah, go on, go on. I heard or read about another example of using digital or remote research to, as you know, as as an anthropologist to study the the experience of, uh, I believe it was domestic abuse victims or um, oppressed uh, women. Uh, I'm forgetting which country it was, or which context it was uh, at the moment, but. Um, just, I just thought it was very striking that, you know, in, in some cases when you're dealing with a sensitive topic, which could even maybe for consumer research, maybe it has to do with like uh, a woman's menstrual pad or something like that, or something yeah. pri- private that maybe doesn't belong in a focus group conversation. Um, you know, maybe digital mediated uh, interaction, like a, a remote interview would actually be more appropriate. It may be yeah. more intimate maybe more secure, maybe make people feel uh, more comfortable to, um, to share, you know, and, and I have heard through uh, a story from Daniel Miller during the COVID uh, pandemic, the early, early part of the COVID pandemic, he did a YouTube, um, a YouTube video, Daniel Miller, who's a uh, professor of anthropology, and he he talked about one of his thesis students who was doing research in Italy and in person and then had to, you know, suddenly switch everything to go online because of um, uh, stay at home measures. And he said, actually, the participants opened up even more, shared even more 
personal and intimate details than when he was in person with them. So I think that we cannot discount um, the the power of these uh, technologies to help us communicate and connect in in ways that maybe um, we, we couldn't do in person. Well, I think that's been, you know, there are so many different thoughts in this conversation. It's been really interesting talking to you all about um, your perspective on digital technology, how it's the new reality for researchers, and also on learning about your experiences in conducting um, research in Thailand. Uh, I, I wonder, um, are there any kind of uh, final um, thoughts or ideas you'd like to share? Otherwise, I'll end with the final question that uh, I've asked in the previous podcast as well. I would like to just leave everyone with the the question, uh, if you're a researcher out there and you're listening to this, that ask yourself the question when you propose a a methodology that uses digital technology, ask yourself, you know, could, you know, could this have been done in person? Are we choosing this method? Are we choosing to use digital technology because we cannot do it in person? Uh, and if we have to use this digital technology, how can we maximize, uh, optimize what we get in mm-hmm. terms of richness of, of contextual data uh, when by using these technologies? You know what? I'm going to start thinking about that as well, because I, 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 that's actually a really big question that, um, yeah, I think we, we do have to bear in mind that. And I think also the ethics of um, conducting research through um, digital technology, I think it's something that we'll continue to have to think about um, as digital technology advances research, I guess. I'd just like to ask a final question, which is, uh, and this is quite broad, but it'll be great to hear your opinion on this, um, which is, uh, what are your hopes for ethnography and also anthropological research um, in Thailand and maybe for the rest of Asia for, um, let's say, um, for the next five years? Wow, that's a very big question. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I would need like a, a thesis paper to think about that. Um, I think that I can just speak from the top of mind, you know, as, as an owner of a, a company doing market research with anthropology as part of our arsenal, um, that in Thailand, there's still a lot more to be explored. Uh, in terms of the more industries, I would like to see more industries uh, open to using anthropology as a research methodology, and be that. And that, and that being said, qualitative research, uh, but non-traditional qualitative research. So, I would like to see the anthropology and qualitative research being done in partnership with. Um, the quantitative research that's already being done. Yes. Um, yeah. I would like companies to look at anthropology as a way of understanding both their own business and their own organizational culture uh, and how that affects their end product uh, and how, how like their, their themselves as a company and their company culture is actually reflected through um, the product. Like for example, a telecom in Thailand, their company culture is, is highly segregated and, 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 and that is actually reflected literally through their products, which have maybe more than 10 or 20 <laughs> different uh, independent, how do you say, lines of products that yeah. are represented by one subsidiary company of their mother company. So yeah, I think that um, that's what anthropology can do is that it can help you understand um, things from how do you say it? Uh, kind of like a, a microcosmic uh, level that help you put into context a lot of the things that you're seeing on a higher level uh, issues that you're seeing in the market or issues you're seeing with your your own organization um, if you can put yourself or ask an anthropologist, ask a company like Teak <laughs> to um, to put a researcher uh, in your company or put a researcher in your um, consumer's context, I think they'll gain greatly. But what I would actually like to see even more so is that, that companies in Thailand hire anthropologists, <laughs> actually. Yeah. Um, hire them to work 
in their own division, in their own research division, or work in the innovation departments of the existing companies that already have innovation departments that don't have, they don't have really, they really don't have researchers. Um, and so I would say that there's a lot of knowledge about user research uh, specifically and design thinking, human-centered design being um, spread around here in Thailand and becoming kind of a buzzword. But what they're missing is the practical experience, hiring people into your company who have these really real research, practical research skills. Um, I think that that's how they will uh, benefit, as well as a media agency like um, where you work, Tiffany. It's great, it would be great to see more anthropologists working in uh, media agencies in, in Thailand to better understand who their real customers are and how to reflect them uh, better through their communication. Yeah, definitely. I, I totally um, agree with that. And I really, um, yes, uh, fully support having more um, anthro people actually firstly study anthropology um, and then actually be willing to and daring enough to go and try to um, apply and show that their skills are applicable in context outside of academia. I think there are, there's a very big demand for um, big data of scientists um, those that are specialists in quantitative research, of course, that matters. Um, but without the qualitative, you can't tell the full story behind all those numbers. And um, that's where an anthropologist or someone who has a deeper understanding of people's behaviors and cultures can really step in and help. Um, but at the same time, anthropologists also need to be confident enough to say that, oh, um, you know, the the skills we have, yes, we can't apply it in contexts outside. Um, it's not that just even though um, the research we're doing is for um, commercial purposes, it, it's not that it is unethical. Actually, um, I think anthropologists should try to um, have a bigger role within a corporate setting just because all, a lot of big companies, uh, actually all companies, are shaping um, the reality of today and tomorrow and the innovations for tomorrow, that's all shaped by whatever kind of insights or ideas that um, the companies are thinking of. And without someone who really understands um, human needs and human behaviors, we can't move towards a more human-centric future and more human-centric innovation. So um, likewise, yes, I do definitely hope that more anthropologists um, can be willing to step out and, you know, um, daring enough to go and explore areas outside of academia. Yeah, so um, thanks for your time today, uh, Soya. It's been really great to speak to you. Um, and I think I'm pretty sure the audience will have lots of things to think about after today's um, podcast. So thanks to everyone for listening. And thank you again, Soya, for your time today. Thank you. Thank you for listening, everyone. Follow us on our social media channels and look at the show notes for links to our speaker's work. Join us next time for more interesting conversations.